After the Story, Chapter 2, Part 3 of The Black Robe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Black Robe by Wilkie Collins. After the Story, Chapter 2, Part 3. Eight Extract july the third a letter has reached mrs eyrecourt this morning from dr wybrow it is dated castel gandolfo near rome here the doctor is established during the hot months and here he has seen romaine in attendance on the holy father in the famous summer palace of the popes how he obtained the interview mrs eyrecourt is not informed to a man of his celebrity doors are no doubt opened which remain closed to persons less widely known i have performed my promise he writes and i may say for myself that i spoke with every needful precaution the result a little startled me romaine was not merely unprepared to hear of the birth of his child he was physically and morally incapable of sustaining the shock of the disclosure for the moment i thought he had been seized with a fit of catalepsy he moved however when i tried to take his hand to feel the pulse shrinking back in his chair and feebly signing to me to leave him i committed him to the care of his servant the next day i received a letter from one of his priestly colleagues informing me that he was slowly recovering after the shock that i had inflicted and requesting me to hold no further communication with him either personally or by letter i wish i could have sent you a more favorable report of my interference in this painful matter perhaps you or your daughter may hear from him july four to nine no letter has been received mrs eyrecourt is uneasy stella on the contrary seems to be relieved july the tenth a letter has arrived from london addressed to stella by romaine's english lawyers the income which mrs romaine has refused for herself is to be legally settled on her child technical particulars follow which it is needless to repeat here by return of post stella has answered the lawyers declaring that so long as she lives and has any influence over her son he shall not touch the offered income mrs eyrecourt monsieur and madame villeray and even matilda entreated her not to send the letter to my thinking stella acted with becoming spirit though there is no entail still vange abbey is morally the boy's birthright it is a cruel wrong to offer him anything else july the eleventh for the second time i have proposed to leave st germain the presence of the third person whenever i am in her company is becoming unendurable to me she still uses her influence to defer my departure nobody sympathizes with me she said but you i am failing to keep my promise to myself not to write about myself but there is some little excuse this time 
for the relief of my own conscience i may surely place it on record that i have tried to do what is right it is not my fault if i remain at saint germain insensible to madame villoray's warning ninth extract september the thirteenth terrible news from rome of the jesuit mission to arizona the indians have made a night attack on the new mission house the building is burnt to the ground and the missionaries have been massacred with the exception of two priests carried away captive the names of the priests are not known news of the atrocity has been delayed four months on its way to europe owing partly to the civil war in the united states and partly to disturbances in central america looking at the times which we receive regularly at st germain i found this statement confirmed in a short paragraph but here also the names of the two prisoners failed to appear our one present hope of getting any further information seems to me to depend on our english newspaper the times stands alone as the one public journal which has the whole english nation for volunteer contributors in their travels at home they appeal to the editor in their travels abroad over civilized and savage regions alike if they meet with an adventure worth mentioning they tell it to the editor if any one of our countrymen knows anything of this dreadful massacre i foresee with certainty where we shall find the information in print soon after my arrival here stella had told me of her memorable conversation with penrose in the garden at ten acres lodge i was well acquainted with the nature of her obligation to the young priest but i was not prepared for the outbreak of grief which escaped her when she had read the telegram from rome she actually went the length of saying i shall never enjoy another happy moment till i know whether penrose is one of the two living priests the inevitable third person with us this morning was monsieur villeray sitting at the window with a book in his hand sometimes reading sometimes looking at the garden with the eye of a fond horticulturist he discovered a strange cat among his flower-beds forgetful of every other consideration the old gentleman hobbled out to drive away the intruder and left us together i spoke to stella in words which i would now give everything i possessed to recall a detestable jealousy took possession of me i meanly hinted that penrose could claim no great merit in the matter of romaine's conversion for yielding to the entreaties of a beautiful woman who had fascinated him though he might be afraid to own it she protested against my unworthy insinuation but she failed to make me ashamed of myself is a woman ever ignorant of the influence which her beauty exercises over a man i went on like the miserable creature that i was from bad to worse excuse me i said if i have unintentionally made you angry i ought to have known that i was treating on delicate ground your interest in penrose may be due to a warmer motive than a sense of obligation she turned away from me sadly not angrily 
intending as it appeared to leave the room in silence arrived at the door she altered her mind and came back even if you insult me bernard i am not able to resent it she said very gently i once wronged you i have no right to complain of you now wronging me i will try to forget it she held out her hand she raised her eyes and looked at me it was not her fault i alone am to blame in another moment she was in my arms i held her to my breast i felt the quick beating of her heart on me i poured out the wild confession of my sorrow my shame my love i tasted again and again and again the sweetness of her lips she put her arms round my neck and drew her head back with a long sigh be merciful to my weakness she whispered we must meet no more she pushed me back from her with a trembling hand and left the room i have broken my resolution not to write about myself but there is no egotism there is a sincere sense of humiliation in me when i record this confession of misconduct i can make but one atonement i must at once leave saint germain now when it is too late i feel how hard for me this life of constant repression has been thus far i had written when the nursemaid brought me a little note addressed in pencil no answer was required the few lines were in stella's handwriting you must not leave us too suddenly or you may excite my mother's suspicions wait until you receive letters from england and make them the pretext for your departure s i never thought of her mother she is right even if she were wrong i must obey her september the fourteenth the letters from england have arrived one of them presents me with the necessary excuse for my departure ready-made my proposal for the purchase of the yacht is accepted the sailing-master and crew have refused all offers of engagement and are waiting at cows for my orders here is an absolute necessity for my return to england the newspaper arrived with the letters my anticipations have been realized yesterday's paragraph has produced another volunteer contributor an englishman just returned from central america after traveling in arizona writes to the times he publishes his name and address and he declares that he has himself seen the two captive priests the name of this correspondent carries its own guarantee with it he is no less a person than mr murthwaite the well-known traveller in india who discovered the lost diamond called the moonstone set in the forehead of a hindu idol he writes to the editor as follows sir i can tell you something of the two jesuit priests who were the sole survivors of the massacre in the santa cruz valley four months since i was traveling at the time in arizona under the protection of an apache chief bribed to show me his country and his nation instead of cutting my throat and tearing off my scalp by a present tribute of whiskey and gunpowder 
and by the promise of more when our association came to an end about twelve miles northward of the little silver mining town of tubac we came upon an apache encampment i at once discovered two white men among the indians these were the captive priests one of them was a frenchman named larbier the other was an englishman named penrose they owed their lives to the influence of two powerful considerations among the indians unhappy larbier lost his senses under the horror of the night massacre insanity as you may have heard is a sacred thing in the estimation of the american savages they regard this poor madman as a mysteriously inspired person the other priest penrose had been in charge of the mission medicine chest and had successfully treated cases of illness among the apaches as a great medicine man he too is a privileged person under the strong protection of their interest in their own health the lives of the prisoners are in no danger provided they can endure the hardship of their wandering existence among the indians penrose spoke to me with the resignation of a true hero i am in the hands of god he said and if i die i die in god's service i was entirely unprovided with the means of ransoming the missionaries and nothing that i could say or that i could promise had the smallest effect on the savages but for severe and tedious illness i should long since have been on my way back to arizona with the necessary ransom as it is i am barely strong enough to write this letter but i can heed a subscription to pay expenses and i can give instructions to any person who is willing to attempt the deliverance of the priests so the letter ended before i had read it i was at loss to know where to go or what to do when i leave saint germain i am now at no loss i have found an object in life and a means of making atonement to stella for my own ungracious and unworthy words already i have communicated by telegraph with mr murthwaite and with my sailing-master the first is informed that i hope to be with him in london to-morrow morning the second is instructed to have the yacht fitted out immediately for a long voyage if i can save these men especially penrose i shall not have lived in vain london september the fifteenth no i have resolution enough to go to arizona but i have no courage to record the parting scene when it was time to say good-bye i had intended to keep the coming enterprise a secret and only to make the disclosure in writing when the vessel was ready to sail but after reading the letter to the times stella saw something in my face as i suppose that betrayed me well it is over now i do my best to keep myself from thinking of it and for this reason i abstain from dwelling on the subject here mr murthwaite has not only given me valuable instructions he has provided me with letters of introduction to persons in office and to the padres or priests in mexico which will be of incalculable use in such an expedition as mine in the present disturbed condition of the united states he recommends me to sail for a port on the eastern coast of mexico 
and then to travel northward over land and make my first inquiries in arizona at the town of tubac time is of such importance in his opinion that he suggests making inquiries in london and liverpool for a merchant vessel under immediate sailing orders for veracruz or tampico the fitting out of the yacht cannot be accomplished i find in less than a fortnight or three weeks i have therefore taken mr mirthwhite's advice september the sixteenth no favorable answer so far as the port of london is concerned very little commerce with mexico and bad harbors in that country when you do trade such is the report september the seventeenth a mexican brig has been discovered at liverpool under orders for veracruz but the vessel is in debt and the date of departure depends on expected remittances in this state of things i may wait with my conscience at ease to sail in comfort on board my own schooner september eighteen to thirtieth i have settled my affairs i have taken leave of my friends good mr mirthwhite included i have written cheerfully to stella and i sail from portsmouth tomorrow well provided with the jars of whisky and the kegs of gunpowder which will effect the release of the captives it is strange considering the serious matters i have to think of but it is also true that i feel out of spirits at the prospect of leaving england without my travelling companion the dog i am afraid to take the dear old fellow with me on such a perilous expedition as mine may be stella takes care of him and if i don't live to return she will never part with him for his master's sake it implies a childish sort of mind i suppose but it is a comfort to me to remember that i have never said a hard word to traveller and never lifted my hand on him in anger all this about a dog and not a word about stella not a word those thoughts are not to be written i have reached the last page of my diary i shall lock it and leave it in charge of my bankers on my way to the portsmouth train shall i ever want a new diary superstitious people might associate this coming to the end of the book with coming to an end of another kind i have no imagination and i take my leap in the dark hopefully with byron's glorious lines in my mind here's a sigh to those who love me and a smile to those that hate and whatever skies above met here's heart for every fate an enclosure is inserted here marking a lapse of seven months before the entries in the diary are resumed it consists of two telegrams dispatched respectively on the first and second of may eighteen sixty four one from bernard winterfield portsmouth england to mrs romaine care of monsieur villeray st germain near paris penrose is safe on board my yacht his unfortunate companion has died of exhaustion and he is himself in a feeble state of health i at once take him with me to london for medical advice we are eager for news of you telegraph to derwent's hotel second from mrs ayrcourt st germain to bernard winterfield derwent's hotel london 
your telegram received with joy and sent on to stella in paris all well but strange events have happened if you cannot come here at once go to lord loring he will tell you everything tenth extract london the second of may eighteen sixty four mrs eyrecourt's telegram reached me just after dr wybrow had paid his first professional visit to penrose at the hotel i had hardly time to feel relieved by the opinion of the case which he expressed before my mind was upset by mrs eyrecourt leaving penrose under the charge of our excellent landlady i hurried away to lord loring it was still early in the day his lordship was at home he maddened me with impatience by apologizing at full length for the inexcusable manner in which he had misinterpreted my conduct on the deplorable occasion of the marriage ceremony at brussels i stopped his flow of words very earnestly spoken it is only right to add and entreated him to tell me in the first place what stella was doing in paris stella is with her husband lord loring replied my head turned giddy my heart beat furiously lord loring looked at me ran to the luncheon-table in the next room and returned with a glass of wine i really don't know whether i drank the wine or not i know i stammered out another inquiry in one word reconciled i said yes mr winterfield reconciled before he dies we were both silent for a while what was he thinking of i don't know what was i thinking of i daren't write it down lord loring resumed by expressing some anxiety on the subject of my health i made the best excuse for myself that i could and told him of the rescue of penrose he had heard of my object in leaving england and heartily congratulated me this will be welcome news indeed he said to father benwell even the name of father benwell now excites my distrust is he in paris too i inquired he left paris last night lord loring answered and he is now in london on important business as i understand connected with romaine's affairs i instantly thought of the boy is romaine in possession of his faculties i asked in complete possession while justice is in his power has he done justice to his son lord loring looked a little confused i have not heard was all he said in reply i was far from satisfied you are one of romaine's oldest friends i persisted have you not seen him yourself i have seen him more than once but he has never referred to his affairs having said this he hastily changed the subject is there any other information that i can give you he suggested i had still to learn under what circumstances romaine had left italy for france and how the event of his illness in paris had been communicated to his wife lord loring had only to draw on his own recollections to enlighten me lady loring and i passed the last winter in rome he said and there we saw romaine you look surprised perhaps you are aware that we had offended him by advice which we thought it our duty to offer to stella before her marriage i was certainly thinking of what stella had said to the lorings on the memorable day when she visited me at the hotel romayne would probably have refused to receive us lord loring resumed 
but for the gratifying circumstance of my having been admitted to an interview with the pope the holy father spoke of him with the most condescending kindness and hearing that i had not yet seen him gave instructions commanding romaine to present himself under these circumstances it was impossible for him to refuse to receive lady loring and myself on a later occasion i cannot tell you how distressed we were at the sad change for the worse in his personal appearance the italian physician whom he occasionally consulted told me that there was a weakness in the action of his heart produced in the first instance by excessive study and the excitement of preaching and aggravated by the further drain of his strength due to insufficient nourishment he would eat and drink just enough to keep him alive and no more and he persistently refused to try the good influence of rest and change of scene my wife at a later interview with him when they were alone induced him to throw aside the reserve which he had maintained with me and discovered another cause for the deterioration of his health i don't refer to the return of a nervous misery from which he has suffered at intervals for years past i speak of the effect produced on his mind by the announcement made no doubt with the best intentions by dr wybrow of the birth of his child this disclosure he was entirely ignorant of his wife's situation when he left her appears to have affected him far more seriously than the english doctor supposed lady loring was so shocked at what he said to her on the subject that she has only repeated it to me with a certain reserve if i could believe i did wrong he said in dedicating myself to the service of the church after the overthrow of my domestic happiness i should also believe that the birth of this child was the retributive punishment of my sin and the warning of my approaching death i dare not take this view and yet i have not in me after the solemn vows by which i am bound to place any more consoling interpretation on an event which as a priest it disturbs and humiliates me even to think of that one revelation of his tone of thought will tell you what is the mental state of this unhappy man he gave us little encouragement to continue our friendly intercourse with him it was only when we were thinking of our return to england that we heard of his appointment to the vacant place of the first attache to the embassy at paris the pope's paternal anxiety on the subject of romaine's health had chosen this wise and generous method of obliging him to try a salutary change of air as well as a relaxation from his incessant employments in rome on the occasion of his departure we met again he looked like a worn-out old man we could now only remember his double claim on us as a priest of our religion and as a once dear friend and we arranged to travel with him the weather at the time was mild our progress was made by easy stages we left him at paris apparently the better for his journey i asked if they had seen stella on that occasion no said lord loring we had reason to doubt whether stella would be pleased to see us and we felt reluctant to meddle unasked with a matter of extreme delicacy i arranged with the nuncio whom i have the honor to know that we should receive written information of romaine's state of health and on that understanding we returned to england 
a week since our news from the embassy was so alarming that lady loring at once returned to paris her first letter informed me that she had felt it her duty to tell stella of the critical condition of romaine's health she expressed her sense of my wife's kindness most gratefully and feelingly and at once removed to paris to be on the spot if her husband expressed a wish to see her the two ladies are now staying at the same hotel i have thus far been detained in london by family affairs but unless i hear of a change for the better before evening i follow lady loring to paris by the mail train it was needless to trespass further on lord loring's time i thanked him and returned to penrose he was sleeping when i got to the hotel on the table in the sitting-room i found a telegram waiting for me it had been sent by stella and it contained these lines i have just returned from his bedside after telling him of the rescue of penrose he desires to see you there is no positive suffering he is sinking under a complete prostration of the forces of life that is what the doctors tell me they said when i spoke of writing to you send a telegram there is no time to lose toward evening penrose awoke i showed him the telegram throughout our voyage the prospect of seeing romaine again had been the uppermost subject in his thoughts in the extremity of his distress he declared that he would accompany me to paris by the night train remembering how severely he had felt the fatigue of the short railway journey from portsmouth i entreated him to let me go alone his devotion to romaine was not to be reasoned with while we were still vainly trying to convince each other dr wybrow came in to my amazement he sided with penrose oh get up by all means he said we will help you to dress we took him out of bed and put on his dressing-gown he thanked us and saying he would complete his toilet by himself sat down in an easy chair in another moment he was asleep again so soundly asleep that we put him back in his bed without waking him dr wybrow had foreseen this result he looked at the poor fellow's pale peaceful face with a kindly smile there is the treatment he said that will set our patient on his legs again sleeping eating and drinking let that be his life for some weeks to come and he will be as good a man as ever if your homeward journey had been by land penrose would have died on the way i will take care of him while you are in paris at the station i met lord loring he understood that i too had received bad news and gave me a place in the coupe carriage which had been reserved for him we had hardly taken our seats when we saw father benwell among the travellers on the platform accompanied by a grey-haired gentleman who was a stranger to both of us lord loring dislikes strangers otherwise i might have found myself travelling to paris with that detestable jesuit for a companion end of chapter two part three read by lars rolander